Hello, and welcome to the Gut Feeling Podcast, speaking with musicians on how they found their sound. I'm your host, Gregory Adams, and this time around, we've got a conversation on deck with Jordan Bliley, a currently LA-based writer, but Washington State-raised hardcore kid who spent the mid-90s thrumming the bass and Vade before becoming part of the ghoulish two-vocal tandem at the forefront of Redmond Quintet, The Blood Brothers, truly one of the weirder hardcore acts of their era. The band somehow impossibly went from basements to the big stage by the time they released their third album, Burn Piano Island Burn, which has just been treated to a deluxe 20th anniversary re-release through Epitaph Records. There's a pretty wild arc to the Blood Brothers' uh, career from their early singles as this gothic hardcore band, uh, Jordan and co-vocalist Johnny Whitney howling mad about all kinds of vampiric things, bloodlettings, neck bites soul-draining teenage hierarchies. Blood Brothers, you know, it's it's a fitting name for them. After a lineup change and a great couple full lengths, the band signed to then upstart major offshoot Artist Direct. Instead of full-bore screaming, Johnny and Jordan kind of settle into a kind of archetypal dynamic. Johnny handling some high, southern, sassy thing. Jordan working a bit of a lower vibrato, but still a lot of screaming. Burn Piano Island Burned is a daring, ambitious collection, all cut-and-paste freneticism from lyrics to song construction. As Jordan points out in this talk, the songs get kind of long here. Weirder, at times perhaps to their own detriment, but that's also kind of the fucked-up charm to this record. It's an all-out idea splatter, just pure id. I've got some great memories around this band, and Jordan, really. Um, I met him when I was 18, often saw him at shows when my friends and I would drive down from Vancouver to Seattle to catch something. Eventually, I clued in to him being one of the Blood Brothers, never having seen them, mind you, so I slipped him my number. About a year later, we started booking basement shows for each other's bands, a cultural exchange of sorts. Got to know him and the rest of the band pretty well when they took my old band on a few tours. A photo I took of Jordan on one of those trips is in the new deluxe Burn Piano Island Burn. It's from an Orange County house show in 2001. True North from Florida played the show too, same with Yafit Koto. Uh, that band's drummer threw up in the front yard that night. That's what I remember mostly about this show. But Jordan told me that this was actually the house show where they met Ross Robinson, the corn, Limp Biscuit, and at the drive-in producer that would eventually track Burn Piano Island Burn, pushing the band to new extremes, as heard on the record. I've interviewed Jordan a number of times over the years for various college projects, into early pieces I'd done on the Blood Brothers for Colorado's Skyscraper magazine, we later did an interview for Jordan's next band, The More Tempered and Melodic Past Lives, for Exclaim. That was a conversation where he told me it would be silly to scream in a band ever again. Uh, but he softened that position another seven or eight years later when he recorded a reunion album with Head Wound City, the supergroup featuring members of the Blood Brothers, the Locust, and Yeah, Yeah, Yes. Before jumping into the talk, I want to note that Gut Feeling is a podcast and a bi-weekly newsletter running band interviews, gear talks, label guides, out-of-print pieces from more than two decades worth of work as an arts reporter, and more. You can sign up for the newsletter at buttondown.email slash gutfeeling, which puts both posts and podcasts directly in your inbox. That should be enough preamble, though. So once again, I'll introduce Jordan Bliley of the Blood Brothers. I work. I work from home. I just. I just write all day at home. Cool. What are you? What are you writing yeah. at the moment? Um, I'm working on a western. It's a, for a director. 
uh, named Clara Bowsery. It's her first feature. She's she's great. She's a really um, she's a phenomenal photographer. She had this idea for a western, and she had she had a draft she had been working with, and uh, her producers who I have have worked with before um, brought me in to to help with it. So cool. yeah, it's it's my first time. It's my first time doing anything uh, in that genre, and it's uh, it's fun. I like it. I like I like getting into it and like you could you should see like my you know I have like a folder <laughs> here of just just like so deep of like western research you know um, yeah that's fun yeah are 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 you are you like learning like period vernacular yeah you know I like if if I kind of do it I kind of do it scene by scene if what I'm trying to write calls for something, I'll, I'll kind of dig around and see if there's kind of a creative period specific way to phrase it or any specific details that I can use to kind of like color the scene. Um, but when I first started, I was just trying to do this like deep dive of like the American West. And mm-hmm. I felt like I was back in school or something or doing a book report. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just tossed that aside and was like, you know what? I'll, I'll just do what the scene calls for me to do. Cool, very cool. Thank you for talking about some some old writing. We'll we'll call it very old writing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Like, do, do you want me to just switch switch into let's let's switch into right pr- in. pr- promo. Uh, burn piano island burned. Uh, it's it's kind of a grander and, and and like more musically extreme form of the Blood Brothers up to that point. But also by that same token, from like a vocal standpoint, it also incorporates a lot more melody. And and I would argue more so on on your point on this record. Like like I wonder if you could tell me yeah. if you remember developing that side of your voice. You know, working with that baritone vibrato. I, I would say melody in, in only the loosest sense of the of the term. Um, I hated the sound of my voice. I've always hated the sound of my voice. Um, and so for, I picked kind of the wrong vocation. I just like being in bands. I, I, I just, I loved everything about being in a band. And I, I feel like I excelled at being a bandmate um, and excelled at, you know, performing and playing shows. And, and doing everything but what I was assigned to do. I, I liked writing lyrics. I like I loved the creative process. But when it came to actually the nuts and bolts of singing, it was never anything that I was 100% comfortable with or confident with. You know, going into recording Burn, you know, we knew it was like, okay, this is like our first big label record. And we're going to be spending a lot more time in the studio. Like, you know, shit, I better... I better take a couple like singing lessons. <laughs> I better take like a couple of voice lessons. Yeah. And I did, I did. I, you know, I, I, I saw a guy in, in Seattle. He was great. We did, I don't know, a handful of sessions together, but it was like, it was that very classic, like singing scales and, you know, opera, you know, like classical music or what, what have you. And you know, we would do that stuff and it would, you know, it would kind of open up my voice a little bit and, and give me a little bit of like a foundation, but I could never really figure out how to connect those dots between that kind of practice and that kind of work and what I was trying to do with the band. 
um, because, you know, the bulk of the time, you're really just abusing your voice. You're not using it in any kind of correct manner. And so a lot of it, I think, came down to like how to preserve it in doing things to at least try to mitigate the damage uh, that, that I was doing with, with all the screaming. But then, yeah, a lot of it was like, okay, so for that other like 10% where the part is calling for me to actually sing, like how to do that with, if not total confidence, just a sense of at least competency. And so, yeah, that's, that's about the extent of, of, of what I was doing in, in, in preparation for the recording. Yeah. As as you're getting into the recording, then you know you've you've learned some new techniques. You're 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 recontextualizing how how you present your voice, kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. do, do you do you feel that confidence enter as you're doing something like, you know, there's like long sections, like like in Six Nightmares, that kind of like uh, I I apologize is the way I'm going to say it. It's like a Dorsey samba. I haven't listened to it in like 20 years, so I'm going to trust your. Uh description of it. Uh, I remember it was kind of like that. Um, no, I, I never I never gained any confidence uh, uh, to, to answer the question. Um, I uh, the studio was not an environment that I was ever really comfortable in. I I was used to hearing my voice through, you know, the worst PA possible, slightly buried under, you know, a wall of amps. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, you know, that's how I was used to hearing myself. And so the studio made me feel just completely exposed and it took out any of that kind of like live element when you're going in and just, you know, it's just you in the vocal booth. To me, it was almost like, it's almost like survival mode. <laughs> you know, it's just like, how am I, how am I going to, you know, get through this? How am I going to approach this and, and get this to a level that I'm, that I'm comfortable with, um, with this, with kind of the more baritone part, the stuff that was, that was influencing me at the time, the bulk of it was like every pulp record, you know, there's, there's so much of what Jarvis Cocker does. It's, it's, it's almost like this, like conversational, almost like, like speaking sort of vocal mm -hmm. until like the core, until like the chorus is hit. That was that was something I felt like I could at least kind of model. And then, yeah, just trying to, you know, trying to do what the part or like the song itself called for. And there yeah. were very few, there were very few like, you know, quiet parts in our band, at least on that record. And mm -hmm. so um, I would just approach them with, yeah, just like, how do I get, at least like a well-rounded sounding like baritone sound uh, to come out of, to come out of my voice. Yeah. Maybe, you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned kind of that conversational aspect of, of someone like Jarvis Cocker. Like there's w one song that I wanted to cover on, on, on your record uh, in particular, which is USA Nails. There is that long kind of spoken word, you know, yeah. section, you know, that they, they're, I'm wondering, um, how do I, how do I want to phrase this is, is doing kind of like a spoken word thing more deceptively complex than just singing a note because you have to intone a, a, a mood. Um, no, I don't think so. I, I, I think that, 
you're just that's all you're doing you're just you're just honing in on a vibe you're just honing in on a certain feel and for that certain part that that specific part i think that it was like you know you're trying for some sort of shade of slight menace you know slight level of like kind of like seductive <laughs> i don't know what um but yeah it's just it's just pulp it, it really is um yeah. you know it's like pick a pulp song you know it's like it's that's that's his that's that's his bread and butter um and mm-hmm. and he was hugely influential to me um both in his delivery his stage presence his style his lyrics all of it um at that yeah. time when i was like in my very early 20s yeah it was like pulp t-rex primal scream you know a mix of all of those things You mentioned, you know, uh, maybe despite maybe not having the confidence uh, vocally, that like you did mention that you loved writing lyrics. And whenever you can maybe hone yeah. in on on this relationship in general, like this is maybe a romantic way to think about it. But like when when you and Johnny are putting together a song like uh, "Burn Piano Island," burn it itself, mm-hmm. like where you're going back and forth, yeah. is is that literally that in the moment where you're just kind of spitting spitting ideas back and forth? No, it's like much more, I, I feel like it's much more measured than that. We had a system that was pretty locked in. He had a, he, he, he just had a phenomenal ear for hooks. Um, and he could get, he could find a hook um, in anything really. And so much of our music was, was so over the top as far as like what the band was doing. But he was able to put something over it. And he was also very gracious in always thinking about it in the terms of two people. What are two people going to do? Mm-hmm. And so he would usually come with at least an initial idea sketched out. And then I would add, you know, my parts to it, um, fill in the gaps. But most of what most most of what he would bring to the table, I really liked. I really loved. So it'd be mm-hmm. like, yeah, this this sounds great. Let's 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 follow this path and we'll, we'll just see um, what we can do here. But yeah, I mean, it was it was all it was all you know because there's two of us, right? You know, it was all predicated on this interplay in the in this back and forth uh, between the two of us. Um, we we've played two shows like in the history of our of our band when like one of the singers was unavailable for for whatever reason like we'd lost our voice or I, I don't know like I played one show where Johnny I don't know like he we booked it and he was out of town and like you know in back then like in the very early 2000s it was like you just didn't cancel shows <laughs> it's yeah. like nope nope we gotta we gotta still do it like the people at this house are clamoring to see us um yeah. <laughs> and and so all of this is a very roundabout way of saying that like it was not it was not two people doing the work of one and i found that out like the absolute hard way of trying to do both parts for for like a go and yeah. just fail it failing miserably and i think he tried once at like a show in like new jersey or something and and you know luckily there was like 10 people there so it didn't you know like no harm no foul Um, but it's, it's hard. And it was like, it was pretty, it was, it was pretty rapid fire. So 
the the initial the initial process of of jumping in and trying to do it you know would somehow sound you know oftentimes sound like a mess but then you, you but then you start to build a chemistry with with that person and then you just you just becomes your mode and you just you just do it is is there a way to characterize like the the dynamic be- between you two uh, maybe in terms of of how you're both presenting on on the mic like were 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 there established roles as to you know who hits what uh, yeah, um, what what range what zone i don't you know like i would never i would never compare I, I don't I don't mean to say this is like an apples to apples comparison. You'll you know that that's going to be obvious when I when I throw this out there. But like if you think of Outcast, right? Yeah. Like you have you have Andre three thousand, you have Big Boy, and both of them are both of them are just you know masters at what they're doing. But Andre three thousand is the flamboyant one. He's the one with you know the crazy outfits that is that is just completely out there he looks like he's like you know come from space um big boy is like much more traditional i guess in in, in comparison you know he yeah. he sort of like holds it down and and provides a bit like of a bit of that grounding you know and and that's i was a huge outcast fan and that's how i like to think about it at least yeah. in, in my head when i thought of like you know our our different roles yeah, I, I guess context is 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 key because like I I, th- I think were were this not to be like a, a two vocal vocal band like uh, if if you were just on your own like you you would often seem un- unhinged and theatrical on your own but maybe in comparison yeah, yeah you you are the, you are the big boy you are the 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 subtler brother. <laughs> I I, yeah. would, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like part of part of it too is is like you know, sometimes I would think about it in terms of like how you're presenting on stage. Right. I think you're right. We, you know, it was, it was a pretty crazy band. Right. So, so all of us are, are, are doing our version of, of what that is. It's just what the, it's, it's just what the music inspired you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like after, after some time, it just felt like I didn't, I didn't want to have these just two competing front men that starts to look kind of obnoxious and feel obnoxious. If you just have two people that are just fucking going for it the entire time, yeah. it's, it's just too much. And so I just kind of recontextualized my role and just, I was very happy to be kind of, sometimes I would position myself kind of in the, towards like the back a bit more, like toward like closer to, um, closer to Mark and Morgan and I kind of considered myself more of like an extension of the band. One thing that I thought was interesting in in the press release when 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 this reissue was announced, uh, uh, there's a press release. That there is, and you're quoted, and this is this is where I'm going with it. Uh, is that uh, uh, you mentioned that uh, th- something to the effect of a lot of this record shouldn't work, and in fact, some of it doesn't. I'd say a lot of it doesn't. Yeah. 
like are there are there any specific spots like uh, maybe maybe from uh, from your standpoint where it was a big swing that uh, maybe maybe you felt uh, didn't didn't quite reach the rafters they're all over <laughs> like I, I don't want to pull the curtain up too much, you know, like, like, you know, um, like Wizard of Oz or something like that, or like ruin someone's like favorite song or something. But like, for, for my ears, it's like, yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, but it's also what makes me really proud of it. Um, it makes me really proud that like, given the opportunity, we, we went big, we did not retreat. We didn't try to like temper at all what we were doing. In fact, I think we kind of doubled down on what we were doing. Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if I had, you know, I, I, if I was to listen to a record of ours, this wouldn't be the first one that I picked up. Just simply because when I when I hear it, and I, I, I think this is probably the experience with maybe a lot of musicians have when they listen to their old stuff. You just kind of hear the stuff you wish you'd done differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of that on, on this record, but it's exciting and it never lets up and it captures what we were at that particular moment of time beautifully, which was like this grotesque mess, you know, that's, that's kind of where we plied our trade. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I love it for that. You know, I, yeah. I love it almost more conceptually than the actual, um, experience of sitting down with it. Um, but, but yeah, I do, I, I do remain proud of it for that, for that, for those reasons. Um, if you want like one example, pick any of my vocal tracks, <laughs> you know, like, um, I don't think that there should have been any Blood Brothers song ever that was past five minutes long. I mm-hmm. think all of the songs on that record hover <laughs> around the five minute mark, um, and but we're we're like twenty years old. We didn't know how to edit ourselves. That like what you're hearing is like the edited version of those songs. Like yeah. those had, those had gone through like, you know, a process of like pre-production and like whittling down. That's the whittled down shit, which is like insane to me. Um, but I can kind of laugh at it, and and yeah, I I've come around to, you know, taking a certain amount of pride in it. Now, getting slightly back to a bit bit of theory, you mentioned that, you know, you had more time to put this together. And obviously that's Uh time spent with Ross. I'm wondering, like, if you felt like exposed to to a certain degree, like as as you're in the booth, like, did did he help you feel more comfortable in in a situation? Ross is, yeah, Ross is great. I should maybe back up and, and if you, maybe, maybe we can start by just talking about his whole process because it's great to kind of get into. Um, like Ross is one of the people like, like with the most pure intent uh, that, that I've ever met. He comes at the role of producer with zero ego. Um, he has no agenda, no ulterior motives, nothing. He has one sole focus, and that is for every person who's in, who is endeavoring to make this record to bring their absolute fullest self to whatever song that that you're doing that day on on like a practical sort of level what that would mean is you know i think we started with ambulance versus ambulance i think that was the first one that we did and so 
it all starts with the drums, right? Like that's pretty standard operating procedure on like a rock record. And so we would all go kind of upstairs to this tiny tracking room um, and where we'd all play together. And it was really cramped. It got like really hot. It was gross and hot. Um, and before we would start a song, he would go around to each of us. And the question would be some iteration of like, why are you here? Or what does this song mean to you? And he didn't let you off the hook. He was like, you know, those professors that like, if you're just like, I don't know, like they don't move on to like the next person. They're like, yeah. no, that's, that's not good enough. Um, and so if you were just like, I don't know, I like playing music with my friends. It'd be like, why? And, and you'd be like, because uh, it's fun. Why? Why is it fun? And, and the whole purpose is to just get you to go deeper than your everyday sort of lived experience. He's trying to get every single person to buy in completely and to put everything that they possibly have into this collective experience. He believes that it is transcendent what you're doing in that room and he wants something that's going to give him chills um he would be like you know i want that fire that's what he would constantly say um and he did not accept anything less than you reaching down deep and going to a plane that you were up until that point maybe not capable of getting to but like with that in mind, it's not like, it's not like whiplash or something like that. You know, it's not like, you know, like not my tempo, you know, it's like he is, his joy that he is bringing to the process is just absolutely infectious. You would, you would, you know, when you got that take, he wanted it, you know, the goal is just get the drums in that one magic take. And when it was there, he'd be like shoving you, like he'd be like so excited. So all of this is just to set up that like, it was the same thing when you're when like when I would be in the vocal booth, it would be like, you know, we'd have like a little bit of a conversation about it. He, you know, he, he'd get me ready. But, you know, he would tell me like all the time um, because I think he could see like how nervous I was. He'd be like, you know, you are the best at what you do. No one can do what you do. Now, stop thinking about it, you know, and do it. Like, show it to me. Go. You know, and um, it, it's it, for me, it was just it, it was like this the the best combination of like support and push. He really he really had that balance with us um, yeah. before before recording with him. Like he, he, he had a reputation that kind of preceded him. Um, and the only things that we would we had heard about him were these whispers of like, oh, man, he made this guy cry. Or like, oh, he was like throwing stuff at this band. He was like so mad at them. Or like, oh, this this drummer quit um, because he he just got so fed up. Um, that wasn't our experience, like whatsoever. Um, with us, I think that like, I mean, we were one, we were prepared. Um, you know, all of our songs were written, all the lyrics were written, all the parts were written. We were there to do it. We were really focused, so we didn't need like a lot of that extra push um as far as like you know you're not you're not taking this seriously or like you're 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 dicking around or whatever um 
but but yeah, I mean, he was he's one of the most supportive people that I've ever been around, and he gave me a lot of confidence and belief in myself when I didn't really have any. Um, yeah. So he was great, and you know, we we had a ton of time in the studio, but I remember doing my lyrics to the last song. Um, the last song on the record is the last song that we recorded, and I'm doing I'm I'm doing my singing in the booth, and I'm watching them like pack up the studio and like and like move stuff out and like you know they're like packing up like various pieces of like outboard equipment and like putting it on road cases and it's like going away and it's like I'm just I'm feeling like this like pressuring and, and anxiety just like completely take over you know as I'm watching these like dudes these like union guys like loading up trucks um but yeah anyways he he was great he was great. Yeah. He's, he's great. He's great for vocalists. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember you telling me a few years ago when we were talking around the, the, the head wound record uh, that like Ross, Ross maybe helped you kind of develop just your, the, the strength of, of your, your screaming voice. Like in, in the early days, you'd, you'd blow it out super quick in yeah. the studio. He helped you kind of uh, strengthen that muscle. Yeah. He would just have me, it was really simple. You know, whatever song we were working on, I do two passes of it, just doing it like as high of a register as I possibly could, almost just kind of speaking through it, you know, like a Mickey Mouse voice or something, you know, and then the the reverse, like I do like a couple passes going as low as I possibly could. And it's just kind of like, you know, working whatever those muscles are. So that's how we would start. And then he would just work me until I couldn't go anymore. And then we come back and do it again, like the next day. I was sort of between semesters at school at this point. I didn't have kids at this point. So I had all the time in the world. So I would just go to his house in Venice where we were doing it. And we must have spent just three weeks before we were even, before he even pressed record. You know, like he, like, I remember spending all this time and I got through this like one song, like, great, awesome. And he's like, okay, now we can start recording. I was like, wait, what, what have we been doing? You know? But it was awesome. It was like boot camp. Um, yeah. and, it, 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 and also because it, it had been quite a long time since I'd done any screaming or done any like proper recording, I was really very, actually very thankful for the opportunity to record with him again. Um, because I think that the mid-30s version of me was much more receptive, much more humble, had a lot less sort of ego going into it than the the 20-year-old version of me. You mentioned a few minutes ago that were you to pick up a Blood Brothers record, this might not be the first one, Blood, uh, Burn, Piano Island, Burn, the first one that you would pick up. I guess that there, yeah. there are obviously a couple albums before and after that you could have celebrated with, uh, you know, a 20th mm -hmm. anniversary. Like, um, why do you, do you think the band, or not maybe not even the band, like what, why, yeah. what was the decision behind making this one the 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 the, the celebrated Blood Brothers album? I think because for the bulk of people that like our band, this is like the entry point to our band. Um, it's the one that I think that a lot of fans of the band would, would consider their favorite. And um, there's just some practical stuff too. Like the other, the other anniversaries landed like 
smack dab in like the middle of like global pandemic. So like no yeah. one was, you know, no one was like thinking about like, oh, we got a little March on Electric Children anniversary. We <laughs> don't know. That was like the last, that was like the last thing on I think any of our minds. And so yeah, just it it, it just made the most sense. And and and, and also uh Epitaph, the label that graciously picked up like the whole catalog, they, they picked up those last three uh records of ours and so this was the one to kind of start with now in just in general like what do you remember about uh i guess the transition period between like march on and and this this record in terms of you know the shows that you played uh Mm -hmm. just kind of uh the 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 rise of the band you know different kind of exposure i mean the, the thing that i think of the most about that time was just how different it is from now you know, where, you know, you probably experienced this growing up, you know, in the mid, late 90s, like punk and hardcore, there was, there was a very, very clear and strict line between underground music, which was considered, you know, pure, worthwhile, um, you know, artistically relevant, vital. And on the other side, you know, you had your world of like corporate rock, major labels that was just considered totally corny and 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 pretty useless and the to cross over into that world was pretty unheard of i think for for a band like us certainly but but just in 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 like the broader scope you didn't see that happen too often and when it did happen, the bands would be, you know, pretty universally mocked for their decisions. And you'd see a lot of their fan base sort of turn on them. I think of like Jawbreaker, for example, like when they did Dear You. Um, I don't remember that really going over that well with most of their fans when they, when they did that with Geffen. And so for us, the community and the scene that we came from was even more kind of insular and microscopic and specific. And so this this idea that like, you know, this producer who, you know, was responsible for new metal, you know, had had found us and that we were then going to record with him and put out a record on, you know, a major label. I think people found that out fairly quickly, you know, because it's it is such a small community. And, you know, I think we were subject to like any and everyone's opinion of, you know, our choices. And um, I wasn't immune to that sense of like external pressure because I was 20, you know, and things like, you know, what my peers thought of me and is this selling out, which I don't think people really have a notion of what selling out is uh, in, in 2023. I don't think it comes into play really at all, because there's, you know, it's just a different landscape. And so most of what I was trying to do was just sort of put my head down and focus on making the best record that we could make. And, you know, at at a certain point, I remember being with Morgan when we had this like contract we needed to sign and like FedEx back to like our manager. We're in like my shitty apartment. (laughs) uh in seattle and we're just like yeah you know and just just sent it off and it's like well we'll we'll find out and that was sort of our attitude towards the whole thing it's just like you know might as well find out 
Like no, people don't get these opportunities and you know, someone else's politics aren't going to affect my decision-making. I'd also grown up, you know, at like a very young age, you know, do you remember, do you ever remember that, that, that movie 1991, the year punk broke? It was Sonic Youth and Nirvana as they, as they sort of, as things are starting to explode for them and it's them playing like Reading and Leeds and like traveling like on all these like European festivals. Um, when I was like 13 or so, my friend had that and we would watch that like religiously and, and you'd see like it opens, I think, with like schizophrenia and you're just seeing this sea of like 50, 100,000 people and like that riff. And it's like, it just gives me like goosebumps even thinking about it. And so it's like from a very young age, I had this sort of dream in my head that like, you know, that, that's what I want to do. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to do it in a way where I don't have to compromise anything because that's what like my heroes were doing. They were they were occupying this space of like almost like, you know, like mega stardom, but sort of making fun of it the entire time and and still doing whatever it is that they were doing on their last record, except now with like resources to, to actually do whatever it is that they wanted. And so that's how I was conceptualizing uh, the possibilities and, and, and the path that, that we were, you know, embarking on. And, you know, we, we never got, we would have, we, we would, we were considered like a major label failure. We were considered like, like a bomb as far as like their standards were concerned. But for us, like, selling like a hundred thousand copies of like that fucking record like is was <laughs> like like we sold like four thousand copies of like our previous records i think like combined you know yeah. so like for us it was mega it was it, and it was like oh we can like we can just do this and i don't have to go to my job tomorrow you know um it was like a sea change you know it, it changed my life it, it yeah. put me on like a trajectory that you know, where I was able to write and record and tour and, 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 you know, play music with my friends and see the world and meet my future wife, you know, like it, it just, it changed the entire course of my life. As I said off the top too, it's a very extreme major label debut kind of thing. Like it's 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 weirder and more more aggressive. And and the band continues to evolve, you know, on future albums as well. I'm wondering if we could touch mm-hmm. briefly on crimes from a vocal yeah. perspective, but uh, maybe maybe not your own. Like I, I want I want to maybe get your opinion <laughs> on because Johnny's Johnny's voice changes yeah. uh, dramatically oh, yeah. between Burn and and Crimes gets yeah. looser like more dangerous with the way his his vocals rise and like yeah this is going to be a very strange way to phrase this but maybe some of that whether intentional or, or just kind of uh in his subconscious is just because of a like an oversaturation within the peer base if if uh if i could phrase it that way like maybe he rebelled against that I think that like for him, it was more just kind of like, oh, this is something I can do. Mm. I'm going to do this. You know, like this is going to, this is going to be like a weird parallel. And I don't mean to like infantilize him like in, in any way. 
there's something I see like with, with my kids and like with all kids where a, a kid when, when they're first learning to like walk and then run, right? Like they just take off like down the sidewalk because it's like they're feeling this thing that they can do that they've put together and kind of built towards and now they can do it. So they just want to fucking do it. And like in as a parent, you're like, oh, like my, my kid is just, you know, halfway down the sidewalk. I have to like sprint to catch up with him. But I kind of think about it like the same way. I think it's like that basic of a need or, or like a realization, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I can do this. I have this thing, this ability that I can, that I can do with my voice. I could reach these like crazy eyes. Like I'm going to fucking go for it. And the thing that I always really respected about Johnny is that more than I think most or anyone that I've known, he does not give a shit what someone else thinks of him at all. And like, as much as I would want to say that I don't like on a certain level, you know, like, sure. Like, but he doesn't at all. And it's what allowed him when we would play and we would go into these like incredibly hostile environments, he would not change one bit. He'd, he'd go harder and it was awesome to see. And it, and it, it was, it really inspired me and it, it made me sort of feel even that more like closer to him and, 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 and it endeared him to me that much more because that's not something that everyone has. It's something that I think a lot of people will say, but when it comes down to it, to really, really not give a fuck, I, I think it's a bit rarer in practice. It's been a few years since the head wound record. Like how, how yeah. on point is your screaming voice at this moment? I, I mean, I haven't done it since, so I wouldn't know, but it's like, it's like muscle memory. It just, you know, it's in there and, and it would take me like a few practices to just kind yeah. of get it loosened up. But at least in my experience, it doesn't go away. And that was, that was my experience when we did that brief Blood Brothers reunion. And then when we did that, uh, Headwind City record. It, it, it's like riding a bike. Yeah. Does this anniversary release make you want to scream again? In in th- 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 you could take that in 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 a, a number of sure. ways. That's 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 literal. <laughs> that, that's that. yeah. Um, I mean, it's like I just you know it, it puts me it, it puts me in a really kind of like joyful mindset to think about like you know our wild youth together and all the things that we were able to do and, and accomplish and you know i you know it's like you probably do too but i have i have a lot of really close friends who also keep them hardcore and aging and not doing bands you come to realize that there's nothing in sort of like everyday experience that really reaches that level of energy as playing a hardcore show like yeah. you can't really find that elsewhere. Like it's so specific and it's so extreme and it's like this sort of like collective transcendence. And it makes, it, it makes sense to me that like all these like aging hardcore guys get into like MMA or like CrossFit or like whatever, because it's like, what else is going to like kind of scratch that itch for, for that, just that pure like physicality and that, in, in that communal sort of experience. 
but yeah, when I listen to those songs, it's like, yeah, you can't, you can't help but think of like how fun it would be to do it again. But I don't think of it in any sense of like bitterness or longing or anything like that. I just think of it as like, wow, like how lucky was I to, to have that is how I grew up, you know? It comes out a lot more like when I meet parents at my friend's school or at our kid's school, yeah, and and, and get to know them. And, and inevitably, you know, you start to get to know people and they ask about where you grew up and what you did. And, you know, I just tell people, oh, I was, I was like a punk singer. I, I did that. And you you really realize how special it was when you kind of see it through the eyes of someone else. And, yeah. and, and you kind of see like their eyes light up and they're like, wait, what? You did what? And, and then you're like, don't Google it. Don't, don't look at it. Don't, don't dig it up. <laughs> like, but, but it was like really fun, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what, what was the, what was the last time the five of you have, have been in a room together? Oh, probably when we reunited like in 2014, but Johnny comes down here every so often for work. Uh, and when he does, we, we always get together, me and Johnny and Cody get together and then Separately, Morgan will come down for shows. He's still doing Fleet Foxes. And so, yeah, I saw him like it was, it was maybe like a month ago, maybe maybe like a month and a half ago. And he's coming down here for a show next week. So it's yeah. like, you know, and we have like a, we have a group chat, you know, it's great. <laughs> it's like, I feel, I still, I still feel connected to those guys. I mean, it's like, I've known Johnny since I was 12. And the thing that I love the most is like, you know, there's something really comforting about old friends and friendships that last that long. And you can look back at a lot of the things that caused so much consternation or like conflict or, or whatever, like when we were an active band and we just laugh at it. Johnny's perspective on things to me is really hilarious and really healthy and really he's, he's quite self-deprecating. And yeah, it's great. I, I love seeing him. I love seeing Cody. I love seeing all of them. The yeah. um, Mark is the one that I've probably probably been uh, the longest since I've seen in person. Thank you so much for getting into all of this today. Like this has been nice. Yeah. To, you know, you're, you're someone that I've interviewed off and on for for more than twenty years. That's we're we're, we're it's, it's, yeah. it's it's you're you're one of the first. It's great to see you, Gregory. You look exactly the same. You've got like you must have like you must have like a moisturizing routine or something. It's I, looking I, good, my friend. I keep like uh, every year I add like a really ugly portrait to my attic. <laughs> yeah, just melting like yeah. grotesque. Yeah, yeah just it'll yeah. catch up with me. Yeah, like when I went back to UCLA, the the first class that I took was um, queer lit from like 1870 to Stonewall. And that was one of the first books we dug into. Yeah, phenomenal book. Love it. Absolutely. I'm gonna. I'll ask you this. So when we started this conversation, I thought this might be like a written thing, but this has been such mm -hmm. a fun, fun chat. Would you Would you entertain this becoming a podcast? Yeah, I assumed that that's what um, we were doing here, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For um, whatever you want.
My thanks once again to Jordan Bliley for getting into some old Blood Brothers lore, some screaming technique, and various hardcore memories. I want to rewind briefly to how Jordan mentioned that he eventually settled into a subtler, supportive vocal role in the band, at least compared to Johnny. That wasn't quite the case in the very beginning of the Blood Brothers, though, where I'd argue that Jordan is actually the wilder vocalist, letting loose these super unrefined, quavering, rarely meter-bound cries, which, you know, some of my favorite parts of those early songs, honestly. I just want us to listen to just a snatch of While the Party Was Kissing off the band's 1998 self-titled debut 7-inch on Hopscotch Records to get just a bit of the feel of early Jordan. Uh, Jordan also does this odd, smarmy, kind of blood-gurgling laugh on the last song on that record uh, called Blood Bank. Artists evolve, I I guess is where I'm going with this. And the Blood Brothers certainly went through some wild transformations over the years. Much of, though not all of the Blood Brothers catalog is on various streaming services at the moment. And of course, you can also now pick up the 20th anniversary edition of Burn Piano Island Burn through Epitaph Records. The album is stretched out across two 12 inches and a bonus 7 inch with the pink tarantulas B-side. It's also got a hefty booklet full of essays and photos from the era, including some of mine. Uh, The one that I was talking about earlier on is also the podcast cover art for this episode. Yeah, I guess I'll just cap it off by saying that uh, the Blood Brothers, super cool band, Uh, glad to have seen them so many times. Always put on a hell of a show, just wildly energetic, uh, super inspirational band. Once again, Gut Feeling is both a podcast and a bi-weekly newsletter. You can sign up to receive posts and podcasts directly in your inbox at buttondown.email slash gutfeeling. Sign up if you'd like. Stream some Blood Brothers music. I'll catch you the next time.